morning, everybody. Happy back to school day. Welcome to the News Agenda with me, Fleet Street Fox. And today I'm joined by the Mirror's political editor, John Stevens. Good morning, John. Morning, Susie. You all right? Yes, it's the end of half term. I'm delighted. Um, now, it's the People's Paper Review. So get into the comments, ask us your questions. Those of you listening later on the podcast are just going to have to make five pledges to improve things and hope everyone immediately forgets what they were. So what have we got for you today? Well, the mirror has splashed on a doctor's warning that the next pandemic will be in the form of drug resistant TB from South Africa, where apparently it kills a third of everyone who gets it. Um, if you want to know more about that and the fact there are no, no vaccines, um, there's lots more info inside today's paper. Everyone will search online for it. But um, I, I don't want to think about the next pandemic. Everyone just got over the last one. Um, I want to move immediately inside to a story that's about capping the price of food. Now, we all know that shopping bills have rocketed, but it's even worse in convenience stores, those smaller shops where those who have to shop, for example, in urban or really remote areas are paying more for the same things that you can get more cheaply in the out of town superstore. So, John, can you take us through this? What's being suggested here and why? Yeah, so this is some research from which and it's saying that people who rely on buying their shopping from smaller stores, whether that's your local corner shop or something like a Tesco Express rather than a big supermarket, they're paying a lot more for their shopping. They've got a figure that if someone was buying their groceries over a year from a Tesco Express rather than a big Tesco, that would cost them about £800 more a year. And I think that we all know this, it's more expensive if you're shopping one of those places. But for a lot of people, they don't have much choice. If you've not got a car or one of the big supermarkets isn't very close by, you're not really going to lug home all your weekly shopping all in one go from the supermarket. And so there is a bit of concern here from which about what's been done and whether ministers could take some sort of action. The, you know, A couple of weeks ago, they were talking about whether you introduce price caps on some basic essentials mm. in supermarkets. And that's an idea that didn't seem to particularly go down particularly well with the supermarkets. And it oh, seems what a surprise. Be, what a surprise. It's been slightly put on the shelf again but I think that there is pressure on the government to take action on this and I mean I just I shop at a big Sainsbury's myself but my Sainsbury's has stopped selling um own brand cereal you have to buy branded cereal in my Sainsbury's cell. there's no cheaper options anymore um and that's fine I can cope with that or just go shop in Lidl instead but um for a lot of people if you are in one of these smaller shops and all you can get hold of is the more expensive products, then those price increases that we've had over the last couple of months are going to be even more painful. Exactly. It's, it can be quite expensive sometimes to be poor, can't it? Uh, especially if you're perhaps less likely to be working or uh, younger, if you're more likely to be older, because you, that's why you don't have the transport to get to out-of-town supermarkets, perhaps you're more likely to be disabled as well. You're paying higher prices. Now, the Tesco, uh, sorry, the Witch investigation was looking at 75 different types of groceries in different stores. So Tesco and Tesco Express, Sainsbury's and the Sainsbury's local. They found it were costing, over the course of a year, it cost you 800 quid more in a Tesco Express and 400 odd quid more in the Sainsbury's local. And some of the price differences are just astonishing. So you've got own label chicken breast fillets in, in, uh, in Sainsbury's that cost £4.10 out of town, but in the locals, £4.78, that's 17% more. And in Tesco, you could get own label sweet potatoes for 95p in a superstore, but they're pound 30 in the town centre. That's 37% difference. Now, I can appreciate, John, that 
in some places, you know, there are different costs to running those stores. But the whole point of having a massive national chain is that it absorbs all those costs and it evens out the prices. So they shouldn't really be charging more in a Tesco Express than they do in the te They're not running separate profit schemes, are they? And I, I think we could all probably grasp that, you know, a mum and dad kind of independent corner shop is going to have higher prices because they can't buy in the same bulk. They've got a high running cost, perhaps, and they can't spread it out across a big conglomerate. But, you know, the big supermarkets don't really have an excuse for this, do they? No, and it's not just that the prices are more expensive on the exact same products, it's that you can't get the same kind of full range of products in some of these smaller stores, or they might not have the same offers. So if you go to your big supermarket, there may be all these buy one, get one free offers at the end of the aisle or different sort of multi-pack deals and money off ways that you can save mm -hmm. money on your shopping bill. But then if you go to one of these local shopping, uh, local shops, uh, something owned by the same supermarket group with the same branded logo outside, you go in and you find that you haven't got the same offers available and you haven't got the same wide variety of products available. That Some of them just have kind of top of the range Heinz beans rather than offering you Heinz beans, some middle of the range ones and some cheaper basics beans. Exactly. I think there's a price on here, actually. No, it's not Heinz baked beans. Classic cream of chicken soup, Sainsbury's. Local, uh, Sainsbury's out of town, pound 16. Sainsbury's local, pound 37. That's almost a fifth uh, extra prices for that. I mean, what do you think, everybody? Do you think the government should do something about this? Because which is saying that they should find some way to cap the prices in out of town. Uh, in inner city stores, the smaller stores, so that they kind of match up with the prices outside. But does that mean all the prices are going to come down to the same or all the prices will come up to the same? Call me a cynic, but I think that would be an excuse to just raise the prices in out-of-town stores to being the same as they are inside the town centres, maybe. Um, and that you know, it is pretty shocking that people have to pay for all this. But, you know, the government, there was some discussion about capping food prices in general last week, I think. And the government, this government particularly, they just don't want to interfere in the market to that extent, do they? Yeah, we do know actually on quite a lot of the key essentials, things like bread and milk, supermarkets are quite competitive between themselves. So that we know that the prices have come down on a lot of those things, that even though people's total shopping bill has gone up massively in the last couple of years, they do like to reduce the prices on a couple of kind of those popular items and then they can boast about how they are uh, cutting prices on the basics that a lot of people buy. But obviously, yeah, supermarket pricing is fairly complicated. And I think also if you did bring in caps on prices, things are constantly changing. All the different inputs are constantly changing. The price of fuel, price of delivery, the price of wheat. Uh, and so I think... There would be a bit of a concern that what if the government was moving too slowly and what if supermarkets, rather than competing for the lowest price, basically just set all bread at the same price because that was the cap that had been imposed by the government. And we know from the energy price cap that, yeah, the idea was that it kept people's prices down. But actually, as energy prices have gone up and yet yeah, has managed to stop people paying completely through the nose for their electricity and gas, even though people's bills have gone up massively, a lot of places you can't get anything other than the government cap now. There isn't a range of prices mm. on offer. And I think this would be the concern. If you suddenly say had the government saying, well, you cannot pay more than two pounds for four pints of milk, then I think you would see everywhere charging two pounds for it, whether or not the price was going down or up. 
Exactly. And it would be the producers, the suppliers to the big stores then that would take a difference in how much the store was paying out. They'd say, well, look, the cost of wheat's gone up, but the store's not giving you any more. So you would get less for producing it and so on. I'm pretty certain governments in history have tried to control the price of bread and it's always gone pretty badly for them. Uh, Marco says, is it because councils charge sky high business rates on those Tesco Express, Sainsbury's locals? It might well be, Marco. It may well be. And I'm sure there are higher costs for owning property and renting property and stuff in town centres rather than outside. But if you are part of Sainsbury's, if you're running Sainsbury's, you would surely even those all those profits and costs go into the same central bank account. They don't go into different bank accounts for all the different businesses. So, yes, they've got to know. I suppose they've got to know how much money they're making and losing in each location. But you can even it out. You can even it out, especially if it's the poorer and the older and the more disabled that are paying higher prices. I mean, have some decency about it. Paul says, my mother likes a certain slimmer's soup. It used to be two for a pound. It's now pound 30 a tin. So these these prices are pennies, aren't they, John? But they actually do add up to quite a big percentage. Oh, yeah. Also, I mean, if you're buying, you're obviously not just buying one can of soup a week. You're buying lots of cans of soup and lots of kind of bags oh. of salad and lots of joints of meat and lots of this and that and whatever. And yeah, when people have seen prices going up across the board, it's not like just food prices are going up, but people aren't having to pay more on rent, more in mortgages, more on their electricity and gas bills. Literally everything that people are paying for has gone up massively in price, which means that a lot of people now, even though their sums added up before, now they're starting to think, oh, hang on a minute, I just can't make all these things add up. No, exactly. Uh, but maybe they would do more about it if the kind of people who shop in those high, in those sort of high street town centre stores were more likely to be conservative voters than uh, they currently are, perhaps. But perhaps they'd be more likely to vote conservative if they did something about it. Catch 22. Uh, now, thank you for that, John. Uh, we need to move on now to the main story of the day. So the biggest story really is the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, is coming here to the People's Republic of Kent today. Uh, not actually here, because he wouldn't be seen dead in my house. But uh, to Dover, which is between here and France, uh, where he's going to tell the whole world that he's what he's doing to tackle one of his big five pledges, stopping the boats uh, of tra pe people traffickers who are sending vulnerable people across the channel. So the story uh, right down the bottom right of that page is that there's an Ipsos poll has found half of voters think he's failing on all of this. But he's going to tell us, John, that it's, uh, if you excuse the pun, he's going to say it's all going swimmingly, isn't he? Yeah. So these are the five pledges that Rishi Sunak set out at the start of the year back in January. They were stopping the boats. Uh, I'm going to forget them now. Halving inflation, growing the economy, reducing the national debt and also cutting NHS waiting. Lists. Well so done. Are, I also <laughs> did have them written down in front of me in case I forgot them midway through. And so uh, they were these big promises put out by Rishi Sunak. He said these are the key priorities of a government. This is what we're going to get on with doing. Actually, in the last few months, even though we've had a lot of shouting about all of them, particularly the Stop the Boats one, where we've had all these kind of loud announcements in different rows, there doesn't seem to be massive progress on too many of them, particularly you look at the economic ones, growing the economy, which is quite a basic ask. You would hope that any government was trying to grow the economy in some form. But actually, you look at the growth figures that have come out over the last few months, and they've been pretty poor. The economy hasn't been growing at all. It's been flatlining. Instead, we know that inflation is still really high. Anyone who's lucky enough to 
own their own home but unlucky enough to be <laughs> renewing their mortgage i.e me knows that mortgage rates are still <laughs> through the roof and part of that is because inflation's been rather sticky the government's found it much harder to bring it down than i think they thought it would be mm. but yeah stop the boats you're still seeing thousands of people crossing the channel this is one of the announcements that Rishi Sunak's very much made his own personal mission it's not just Suella Bravman the Home Secretary you see out making all these announcements it's Rishi Sunak has put himself front and centre of this he's the one always stood at that lectern as you saw there with stop the boats in front of it but aside from all the shouting we haven't seen massive results so far we're still seeing thousands of people crossing the channels, making those dangerous crossings and putting their lives at risk. And we expect as the weather gets nicer in the summer, we are starting to see that to continue and the numbers continue to go up and up and up. Exactly. I'd have thought if you're going to make this kind of announcement, you'd do it in the winter when the numbers are going to drop anyway and make you look a bit better. Um, so there are some people coming across now. Now, it's worth pointing out uh, the actual problem with illegal immigration is 25 times, I think, bigger than the number of people coming across the channel. So it is the least important part of uh, any immigration problem, if you think there is one. Uh, and added to which, 95%, uh, I think, of people who have come across on those boats uh, that we can find out about have their asylum claims approved. So by and large, they are vulnerable people. By and large, they do have a right to be here. And by and large, they should have had better way of accessing the country to claim asylum, which they have a right to. They haven't got a reception centre or legal routes in which to do it. Misha says, hey, here's a thought. If you want to stop the boats, maybe open official channels for them to use. As I've been saying for years, Misha, a reception centre in Calais, where we used to have a border before Brexit, um, would be a good idea. Now, John, it's something that the Suella has said, we're going to have some legal routes, but they're not going to do it until they've cut the numbers. How is yes. that? Yeah, part of the promises they've repeatedly promised to Tory MPs that they will open safe and legal routes, but they haven't set out any details of what how they're going to do that. And as your kind of viewer there points out, and as a lot of campaign groups have said, if people don't have an alternative way to coming to this country, then they are going to resort to taking these more dangerous measures, such as crossing the channel. Yeah, nobody's going to spend 10 grand on a people trafficker if there's a form they can fill in for free or maybe pay a visa or something and then go through the process. It's just it's madness to me. Anyway, um, so he's going to say that it's all going very well today, Rishi is, because he has uh, he's going to, be able to say that there are fewer Albanians coming across since they've signed a deal with Albania to deport anyone who turns up. And that's kind of just really they've just got the message to Albania that they're not welcome. Now, Mike says it's reported Rishi Sunak will tell people today his Stop the Boats initiative is working. Is he taking a page from the Johnson notebook and just making stuff up now? Arguably, the Albania deal is working, but... Those who are already here are not being deported. The numbers seem to be very low. And the Tory uh, backbenchers are pretty unhappy about it, aren't they, John? Um, there's not a lot of deportation going on. Ian Duncan Smith is blaming the civil service just for a change. Um, and the civil service are saying some of these sort of Suella Bradman's policies are illegal and they, they're just threatening to not do it full stop. Yeah, and on this Albania deal, they've got this deal with Albania to deport people back home to Albania. But yesterday, Robert Jemrick, who's the immigration minister, was the 
designated minister out on the Sunday shows on television and he seemed to be getting in a bit of a muddle when he was asked about the numbers how many people exactly have been sent back to Albania so far and he said it was hundreds but he was unable to say well how many of these people are people who've crossed the channel how many of these people are criminals who've been in jail and been sent back to Albania because that has been uh, a suspicion that a lot of these people going back to Albania rather than people who'd crossed the channel. They're people who were locked up in jail anyway for committing crimes and so forth. Therefore, it's been a lot easier to deport them. I think the question will be how much of a deterrent effect does it have? I think the government are going to produce some figures today suggesting that the number of people who are Albanian who are making the crossing has gone down. But you know, they may have tackled that problem slightly, but the overall numbers are still very high. And you look at the asylum backlog, which is the number of people who are waiting to have their asylum claim decided. And that number is still at a record level. And that is why it's costing the government millions and millions of pounds a day in putting people up in hotel accommodation because they haven't got on with making quick decisions on whether people are allowed to stay in this country or be sent somewhere else. And I think that is one of the big problems. We hear a lot from Tory MPs moaning about how much it's costing to put people up in hotel accommodation. But the reason for that is because the government has been so slow to deal with uh, people's asylum applications. And Priti Patel, the Home Secretary, well, the former Home Secretary, was out a couple of weeks ago. And she was saying that when she was in the Home Office and Rishi Sunak was Chancellor, she asked for millions of pounds from the Treasury so that they could turn the asylum system, which part of it is still done on paper forms. She wanted to send, turn it fully digital. She said this would speed up the kind of application process and help bring the backlog down. And she says Rishi Sunak said no to that money. And so... Therefore, I think it's quite hard to go from this standing start to suddenly start processing these applications very quickly. And that's why the backlog just keeps growing rather than coming down significantly in size. Um, well, let's be honest, though, as well. They don't want an efficient uh, asylum system, the government in this country, because it would make it would be too welcoming, in quote marks. They actually they don't they want everything to be unwelcoming. They genuinely believe that if they make this country more of a crap hole, no one will want to be here. Um, and they don't seem to, they're saying stop the boats because they're implying to the voters because they think this will work, stop the brown people. And they're not saying stop the traffickers. They're not saying stop the gangs. I mean, they do talk about it now and again. But generally speaking, they're blowing the racist dog whistle. They're getting voters riled up about the people on the boats as opposed to the people who bought the boats and are fleecing people by putting them in danger. They're not mentioning, they're not analysing barely or recording just how many of the people in those boats have a genuine asylum claim. They're not providing them with safe routes. They're not, they're complaining about the cost of putting them in hotels and they're not reversing the basic reason that they're in those hotels, which is uh, a labour uh, policy actually from when David Blunkett was Home Secretary that stopped asylum seekers working while they were having their claims processed. If they were able to work, they were able to integrate, they could earn money, they could pay tax while their asylum claims were assessed, they wouldn't be in a hotel. But then, you know, they wouldn't be able to blow that dog whistle in the same way. And again, it would be, oh, they could all have jobs welcoming to asylum seekers. And they don't want to be welcoming. They don't want to be polite. They don't want to be kind. They don't want to look that way. They just want to look as vile as possible to people of a swarthy complexion because they think that will work with the voters. And that's why he said stop the boats. That's why he's down in Dover. It's like he's personally guarding the white cliffs saying, you shall not enter here. 
And it's tripe, isn't it? It's just done for, what, a quick boost in the polls? Yeah, but I think there is a slight problem in that the government is running out of time, that when they unveiled these five pledges at the start of the year, it still seemed like there was quite a bit of time to go before the next election, which we are expecting it could be possibly next May or maybe slightly later, October, November, maybe. Seems to be where most people think that the Tories will end up calling the election. And in January, that did feel like uh, that was quite a bit of a way away. But now it is coming closer and closer. It's coming sooner and sooner. And I think the government was hoping that by now in the year, when we're halfway through the year, that they would have made a lot more progress on these priorities than they have so far. And when we were talking about them just now, you just know that things like the economy, things like waiting lists, things like stopping the boats, it just haven't worked out in the way I think the government hoped they would. No, exactly. So, I mean, these five pledges, like we said, what do you think, everybody? How is this going for you? Stopping the boats still coming. In fact, the summer is more than ever, ever before. Halving inflation, not happened. Inflation not going down as quickly as we thought. And actually, even if you do halve it, it still means there's inflation and prices are growing. So not helpful. Growing the economy. <laughs> cutting debt. Thanks, Liz Trust. And cutting waiting lists. Now, to be fair, I think waiting lists have come down slightly, John, according to Private Eye last time I looked at it. Uh, but no one noticed as anything else. Is he actually... Is this the wisest thing for Rishi to have done, to have nailed his colours to this particular mask and say, I'm going to stop these five things? Because they're so impossible for him to do in the space of, what, less than 18 months. He's never, he's never going to be able to do it, is he? But I'm not sure he had much choice. You know, whether you package this up as five things or you just end up doing them anyway, of course, it's always going to be the aim of a government to grow the economy. That is always one of the major things that ministers are trying to do. And so whether you kind of slap a logo on it and a number or whatever, or you just kind of aim to do it behind the closed doors, these are things that the government was going to have to make progress on, regardless of whether they brand it up as five priorities or not. You know, people waiting for operations, the government, as you say, have managed to bring down some of the longer waits uh, but people are still waiting a long time for operations. And a lot of those people are in horrific pain waiting for things like hip operations. Mm. Then the government was always going to have to make that a priority now coming out of COVID to find a way to bring down those numbers. So I'm not sure they had much choice but to kind of set out these priorities and start giving a go at getting through them. Yeah, perhaps showing that he understands what the concerns are, even if he's not going to be able to tackle them because he'll just get to the next election and go, look, I haven't had enough time and I can do it. I do get it. But I don't know how that's going to work. Um, so elsewhere on that page, though, on page two, although we've got a little tiny bit there on the fact that about half of people, according to Ipsos poll, think Rishi Sunak is failing on those pledges. And let me know what you think, everybody. Do you think Rishi's failing or do you think he's having a good try at it? Do you have some sympathy for him? But elsewhere on that page, we've got all the signs kind of of what's gone wrong. So there's a story up, if we can just flash the page up. There's a story up on the top right saying that benefit cuts are pushing children into poverty. There are 600,000 
according to Jonathan Ashworth there on the top right, 600,000 extra children put into poverty by the universal credit uplift being cancelled. There's a total of 4.2 million kids now who don't have really enough money to rub together. We've got junior doctors down at the bottom threatening to strike three days a month. And the revelation in the page lead that austerity is what left the NHS stripped to the bone just at the time the pandemic hit. He cannot. I mean, there's so much stuff that's wrong. It's systemic there, isn't it, John? It's it's poverty, it's benefits, it's industrial relations, it's the NHS um, and, and the leftovers of the pandemic as well. He's just... I, I almost feel sorry for him if I didn't know he was jetting around the country on a helicopter every five minutes on his own expense. Yeah, and just remember, just remember back to, I think it must be a couple of weeks, a couple of months now, when things did look slightly up for him, we managed to get that some sort of deal on Brexit in Northern Ireland. And he did manage to fix one bit of the NHS strikes. And suddenly all the kind of Tory supporters were saying, oh, he's Mr. Fix-It. He's sorting everything out. But you look at that page and you look at the massive list of problems this country faces at the moment. And you look at the reasons for those problems. So that big article there, the main story on that page, is about austerity and the effect it had on the health service. And the COVID inquiry is going to start up properly next week and start hearing about the preparations that the government made for a pandemic. And there are going to be big questions asked about how much of that austerity that was brought in under David Cameron and George Osborne, how much of an impact did that have on the NHS, which meant that when the pandemic hit, it wasn't able to cope with what it was hit with. Well, as I can recall from the start of the pandemic, there was a warehouse full of unusable PPE that had all decayed past the point of use because everyone had run out of money and they couldn't renew it, which was the main thing that caused uh, the, the problem with austerity. And then we end up spending, what, 14 billion on about three billion pounds worth of PPE because we did it in a rush at the last minute and Matt Hancock was in charge and he was busy doing something else. He was using his lady friend. I mean, for goodness sake, we, do we need an inquiry? We know this stuff. Just just boot them all out of the country, right? Let the people traffickers in, take the nice asylum seekers who need some help off the boats, put George Osborne, Boris Johnson, Matt Hancock on the boat, send it back. Go, go on, off you pop. We'll all be a lot better off. Anyway, I'm going to try and move on to something else because uh, thank you for that, John. And now Mike says we can expect, let us finish the job from Sunak coming up to the general election, no matter how badly the targets are going. That probably is going to be the three-word slogan, finish the job it's the job he's done uh, and the job the Tories have done for the past 13 years, which I, th I suspect will be the problem, be 14 years by then. Anyway, thank you for that. Uh, we do have managed to find some good news in the world. There is some. It's there. And we found it for you. Here it is. Roll good news. Every time it's I say good news, I worry that I'm just going to stare blankly at the screen for a bit. It happened finally. Uh, it's only taken two years. Now, here we are. Doctors at the University of Gothenburg in Sweden have transplanted a uterus from one woman to another. It's taken and she's had a successful pregnancy and given birth of a bonny baby boy. And the surgery was all carried out with the help of robots. Now, John, this is a, a world first for robots to help in as much this way and to have something so um so difficult and so incredibly important done as well by them but perhaps it shows that do you think this is proof that ai isn't 
as bad as is currently being made out. Um, yeah, I mean, we seem to spend we seem to spend the last couple of months just freaking out about how the robots were going to take over and destroy humanity, and it was going to be the end of the world, and it was absolutely awful. And we've heard from all of the kind of tech gurus, people who work for these big companies in um, America saying they're actually worried about the robots and what they're doing. But as you see on this page, there is some good news. There is some positivity that, yeah, it is incredible what people have managed to kind of get robots to do when it comes to the field of health and allowing them to do sorts of operations that in the past they just thought would be impossible. Exactly. And I dare say the, the panickers would think that when the robot was in there, they'd, you know, just run haywire and stop goodness knows what and anything else but you can have a robot that's in there doing one thing and then goes oh look there's some cancer i'll just scoop that out right now before it causes a problem we have ai in all our lives there's ai on this software probably recognizing our faces and our voices and everything else there's ai on our phones and fingerprint recognition and face id we're fine with most of it. I'm sure there will be a way through without having a moral panic. I don't mind being upset about the possibility of Skynet coming to fruition. I just mind the fact that we panic because I don't think panic helps in these brains would be nice. Um, but anyway, it'll be especially useful if we can have robot doctors as if the NHS junior doctors are on strike for three days a month. We can go and see the medical bot instead. Then they'll all be complaining about how much they're paid, won't they? Right. Uh, what a what a Monday it's been. Thank you for taking us through all this, John. Thank you, everyone, for taking part. Um, if you're listening on podcast, please leave us a review so other people can find us. Uh, we will see you again on Wednesday for another edition of the News Agenda Explained, when hopefully uh, Rishi Sunak will have been ejected from the People's Republic of Kent, because we don't really want him here. Till then, everybody. Uh, tatty bye. Bye. <laughs>